This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. glorifies God or it doesn't. And those battles within our members will always be there. Back to James. And here's the cure, verse 6. And James is quoting a proverb, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. That's what he's quoting here. That's why you see in italics. And verse 6 says, but he, the Lord, gives more grace. That's the cure for wars and conflicts within our members and even with others. Grace. Whenever there's a group of people there will eventually be conflict within the group. It's inevitable that people will disagree with each other, and that will often lead to battles. But what about the battles within your own mind? The Spirit of God within you will battle with your own desires, and that creates internal conflict. Today, Pastor Eddie has good news. There's a cure for your internal conflicts and those of others. It's God's grace. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of James chapter four. As he continues his message, Quarrels and conflicts among you. He says at the end of verse 19 of Philippians chapter 4, according to his riches in glory. How rich is our God? There isn't another, you shouldn't even think about it. And so, God knows the need. Look at verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. Now, he's using these these terms uh, metaphorically. Understand that the first readers of the book of James were also Hebrews. So he's he's writing in a way where his Jewish readers can understand. Because it's a figure of speech. It is used in the Old Testament. Of, of describing the children of Israel who was unfaithful to God when they, they started worshiping idols. So the Jewish readers or, or hearers, when they read this, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, we've been down that road before, remember? You know, the golden calf, you know, just right after they've been set free from Egypt. <laughs> they built a calf after they saw the, the mighty hand of God delivering them. And they still, and James is condemning here the love of material things, and we're going to see that in context here. But the adultery he's talking about is not about a sexual adultery, but is a spiritual adultery, a spiritual infidelity. It is when someone puts another God in place of the God that loves you. It's like a marriage. We belong to God. We belong to him. And so he says, adulterers and adulter- adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's some heavy words. Don't go to the mall. Don't go to your friend's barbecue. No, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. Let's read what, what John has to say in connection with this. First John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
Well, all that is in the world, here are the three things that are dangerous. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three things the enemies, Satan always tempts us with. This is what happened in the garden, right? Right? In the garden. Satan, the serpent, said to the woman, right? Hey, you know, the lust of the flesh. Don't you want to be smart? Don't you want to know things? Take from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Oh, look at that fruit. The lust of the eyes. Oh, it's great. And the pride of life. To not need God. Because they're going to have the wisdom. The same three things that Satan used to tempt Jesus was he, when he was in the wilderness, right? Oh, Jesus, you see that stone? Doesn't it look like a loaf of bread? Oh, do I see cheese goozing out of that? You know? No, that's the same way. That's what he'll do for us. So he says, for all that is in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, you know, you may say, wait a minute, I think there's a little, you know, contradiction here, because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Well, the word world is mentioned in three ways in the scriptures. World, the planet. Uh, world, the people. God so loved the world. And then world, the system, the world system, like the world of finance, the world of sports. And the world has a system. And if we love that system over God and his word, then that's what it's saying. You're being a friend of the world. You're an enemy of God. Okay? It's not to say you can't, you know, go out with your friend and have a cup of coffee. Okay? That's not a believer. No. Go. Share the gospel. Either you change him, but be careful. He might change you. Don't be attracted to the things of the world. That's what happened to the children of Israel. When, they, when the Lord delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt, you know, after they were in the, in the, de- in the wilderness for a little bit, they said, we should have went back to Egypt. Yeah, I know, they were killing us. But at least we were able to eat food. We've got nothing out here. This thing called manna. What is that? Manna. You know, we, also, we, we're tired of manna. Manicotti, manacaroni and cheese. <laughs> manna, manna, manna. Want something different. Let's go back to Egypt. And that's how it was in the world. And we get, we get attracted by the things of the world. The world has nothing. It's always going to deceive you. Understand that. The world has nothing. Nothing. And we see it more and more. As a matter of fact, there are more, who, there, there are more people that I'm, I'm actually seeing that, that don't know Christ are realizing, hey, there's something dark happening. And they're coming to the Lord because they see it's just lunacy. It's just craziness out there. It has to be Influenced by demons. So anyway, and we can see how, you know, in our last study, how this connects because we studied, you know, the wisdom from above and wisdom from below, right? The world system, wisdom from below, it connects. This world has a wisdom, but it's, it's earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. So when we love the world, the things of the world, here's what happens. Here's where it connects to the adultery, the spiritual adultery we are untrue and we are unfaithful to God. When you love the world, you're untrue and you're unfaithful to God. God wants us to love him first and foremost, and we should because he created us. And he made a way for us to be in his presence. He's, he saved us from sin, especially those of us who have received Christ as Lord and Savior. So we don't want this world. That's why we sing that song, um, you know, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have this world. Just give me Jesus. Love that song. You know, when I come to die, give me Jesus. 
Give me Jesus. Because that's what it all boils down to. One, I guarantee there's, there's something that you, we, cannot, we cannot escape death. There's nobody here that can escape death. And the second thing you cannot escape is standing before the Lord after death. And need to be careful. Don't love the world. There's nothing good in the world. And you know it. You see it. So stay true. Stay faithful to God. Do not commit spiritual adultery because he's your first love. Christ is our first love. And so, second half of verse 2 to verse 4, James gave us the effect of conflicts, the effects of conflict. And now we're going to see the cure. We're going to see that in verse 6, but let's read verses 5 and 6. In verse 5, James writes, Or do you not think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in you, in us, I'm sorry, yearns jealousy. The spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy. You see, when we've repented and received Christ as Lord and Savior, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. God dwells in our hearts. We become new creations, as a matter of fact, and that's a beautiful thing. When you come to Christ, you're new. Old things have passed away. Paul wrote this to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a Old creation? No, new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, old things have become new. You have a new life. You have a second chance. Eternal life with Christ. So we're new when we come to Christ. And once that happens, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He's cleaning house. It's not going to happen overnight. For me, it took years. <laughs> Did a lot of cleaning. Many dumpsters the Holy Spirit filled up. You know, <laughs> But... The reality is it takes time. New creation, God is, the Holy Spirit is still working. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells. Imagine, imagine that. The Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the grave. Do you understand the power Jesus Christ was raised from the grave. The same Holy Spirit is in us. It's going to raise us from the grave. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you? It's important. So when you have this battle, you know this battle is going to happen. Now you're more conscious that it's taking place in your life because we just studied the word of God. The flesh and the spirit are constantly battling Understand when the enemy, the flesh, tells you, oh, you can, you can peek at that computer and, and look at those things, and Holy Spirit dwells in you. Don't do it. Or you can do this. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Don't do it. Don't sin. Knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. So I think it's, it's good for us to have that in mind. Whenever, whatever you do, understand the Holy Spirit dwells in you. What happens quite, quite often, we always feed the flesh that we can't hear the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts as, Eddie, don't do that. Eddie, this is wrong. That's why we needed to walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Your body is a temple where it dwells. Don't offend God. Don't sin against God. Don't commit spiritual adultery. Don't love the world. Don't, don't be lovers of pleasure. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, the same thing. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and are not your own? So you don't belong to yourself. He paid a price. The Son of God died on the cross for you. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, that good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. You get the idea? The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so when we give in to the flesh, we become friends of the world. James writes here in verse 5 that the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy. Yearns jealousy. And this is a jealousy that God, we serve, it provokes God. And we serve a jealous God. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, it says, For I, the Lord said, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is jealous, a jealous God. It's a jealous God. And so, now, you may say, wait a minute, I thought jealousy is something wrong. For you and I, yes. And the reason is, the jealousy of God and the jealousy that we have is, 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 is not the same. Jealousy that we know is being envious of someone who has something we do not have. When we're jealous with someone, they have something that we do not have, or they are something that we're not. And that's where that jealousy comes in. However, God is not jealous or envious because someone has something he wants or needs. Isn't that weird to even think that God is jealous? <laughs> because, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of what this person has. Really? What kind of God is jealous that a man has something he has? Doesn't make sense. God is all sufficient, He created everything. And if he needed something, anything, he would have created it. Very simple. And God doesn't need to create anything. Everything that he created, he doesn't need, actually. However, there was one thing that God wanted that God created. And that is, why owe you? He created you out of his glorious image. Did he have to? No. When we read Genesis 1-1, we see the grace of God from the very beginning. He loves you so much that he created you out of his glorious image. And you were the final part of the creation process. Created a garden, created the, 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 the moons, the stars, and got it all ready for what he wanted. Why all you? Every single one of us. And understand that God doesn't need us. He doesn't need me, doesn't need you. He just wants you. I think that is more love than needing because quite how many times people need somebody because they need something from that somebody. But here God wants, not because of anything you have, because of who you are. He loves you. He created his glorious image. And when he created all of us, we come to now, we come together, we, we're part of the body of Christ, sisters. We become what the, the, called, the church is the bride of Christ. Bride of Christ. So it, you see how it connects with a spiritual adultery, you see. When we, we allow the, the flesh to win this battle. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, it says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That's why it's important that we don't sin against God. We don't belittle God. 
little guy, but just having one foot in church and one foot out of church, to have a real relationship with him. If you have repented your sins and became born again and are saved through Christ and accepted Christ as Lord, a personal Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, not knowing that, that you know that whatever we do, it either glorifies God or it doesn't. And those battles within our members will always be there. Back to James. And here's the cure, verse 6. And James is quoting a proverb, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. That's what he's quoting here. That's why you see in italics. In verse 6 says, but he, the Lord, gives more grace. That's the cure for wars and conflicts within our members and even with others. Grace. He gives grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. He resists the proud. Now, the proud doesn't believe they need God. They don't, they don't believe they need his grace. I don't need you, God. I don't need your grace. That's pride. And where did pride come from? <laughs> Satan himself, right? Unto, you know, Lucifer. Ezekiel and Isaiah, until pride was found in him. But when it says here, God resists them, the word resist in the Greek is a military term. It means to battle against. So it's not like God's resisting them to stay away. No, God is going to battle against them, those who are prideful. And he's going to deal. It's just the same way he dealt with Satan, right? Until pride was found in him. He was cast out of heaven. And since those who are proud, love is a pleasure. We saw in verses 1 and 2. Friends of the world, verses 2 and 4, God sets himself in battle against the proud. However, for those of us who are allowing ourselves to walk in the spirit, to not commit spiritual adultery against God, the cure is grace, but he gives grace to the humble. God's amazing grace. Grace is unmerited favor. And what it means here is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And it keeps on going. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. You see, we received grace at the very beginning. We were saved by grace, were we not? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul writes this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? And that not of yourself, because you can't save yourself. It is a gift of God. Not of works. You couldn't work your way out. You're not religious or doing rituals or whatever it is. Lest anyone should boast. So we were saved by grace, but we continue to have grace. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so it continues on. It doesn't stop there. Grace as the love of God did not stop at the cross. And as we studied that, even, you know, our faith didn't stop at the cross. We keep on working right after. So does grace. You know, everything that God has offered at the cross is still there and then some, you see. It continues on. It doesn't stop. John chapter 1, verse 16. And of his fullness we have received and Grace for grace. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. So now, brethren, I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. So grace builds us up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Through him we have received grace. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Through whom we also have access by faith into this 
grace in which we stand. We build up by grace. We're saved by grace. We build up with grace. And we stand in grace and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ. You can be strong in the grace of God. And so we learn now how to deal with lustful desires in the flesh. It is by grace. That is the cure for all these wars and battles. It's within the members, within us, each and every one of us. We're having this battle every day. That battle may, may even begin a new battle within the next minute. <laughs> Make sure you don't fight over the full, the meats, the dessert table. You'll always have these battles, but don't give in. Walk in the spirit. You not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We have the cure. We have the grace of God. Say, God, I can't do it. I know you can't. God never leaves us alone. He never leaves us where we could be on our own. He's there to be with us. He forgives us. He gives us more grace for strength. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. He writes this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace, grace, find grace to help in time of need. Boldly come to the throne of grace. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that we go arrogantly. It just means we have unlimited access to the throne room of God. You have that now. You don't need to go in the closet to talk to someone in the closet. You don't need to come to me. You don't need to call to Pastor John. You go directly to Jesus Christ. Boldly. Unlimited access. You ever go to those concerts or those shows or, or you go to a ball game and you have these people, have these, these people have this pass, unlimited access. Nobody's going to stop them. Security's not going to stop them. They see the pass, okay. And that's how it is when we come boldly to the throne of grace, unlimited access. We can go through the throne because when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn in two in the temple. Nothing would separate us from God. And if we need the grace of God to help us in time of war, conflict, the battles within us, the grace of God is there. Understand the saints, God loves you. And he knows when you're in need of help. And the need is not only to put food on a table, the needs are also spiritual needs. So when you go to the Lord with whatever spiritual need you may request the Lord, he knows before you even ask. That's why earlier James said, if you need wisdom, ask, and God gives it abundantly. Seek God for wisdom. He's there. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Have you asked God to help you? As I grew up, this was a common phrase used in conjunction with numerous situations, from lost items to important decisions to doing what was right in a difficult moment. It reminds me of the verse in James 1.5 that talks about asking God when you just don't know what to do. Also in verse 12, where James reminds Christians that the promise of heaven hinges not only on accepting the gift of salvation, but also standing firm in what you believe while resisting sin. Having faith in God is the stepping stone to real humility, love, patience, and growth. Are you feeling stagnant in your relationship with God? Do you need someone in your corner? If so, here's Jessica with an invitation just for you. 
prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program, and we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. What a great invitation for those in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area. Just for you folks that aren't close and any who are interested, visit runningtheraceradio.com to not miss out on the many great ministry opportunities of Calvary Chapel of Milford. Our time has come to an end, but thank you so much for joining us today on this broadcast of Running the Race.